Welcome to Tower Talks with Inside Towers, the wireless infrastructure industries podcast. And now for your weekly recap, a timely review of this week's top headlines and takeaways. Here's your host. Welcome to Inside Towers Week in Review. I'm Leslie Stimson, Inside Towers Washington Bureau Chief. With me are John Celentano, our business editor, Sharp Smith, our technology editor, and Jim Fryer, our managing editor. This episode is sponsored by Inside Towers Intelligence, a quarterly market report that dives deep into the wireless infrastructure ecosystem. It looks at market trends, capital expenditures, relevant M&A transactions, and more. Our Q4 2021 issue is close to being available. It'll be available shortly. An annual subscription also includes an exclusive briefing and online support. For more information or to subscribe, visit InsideTowers.com slash intelligence. Take it away, John. Well, thanks, Leslie. Um, we're, you know, our, our Towers is in our name and we like to stay, um, stay abreast of uh, developments in the tower business uh, worldwide. Uh, this week, we put out a, uh, an article sort of updating our rankings of the uh, independent tower companies uh, around the world. Um, you know, the growth of the tower business has been pretty steady um, given the demand for uh, mobile data, uh, new I- IoT deployments, and, and the requirement to cover uh, urban and rural markets alike. So the tower counts among all the companies have actually grown on a year-over-year basis, either in the high single-digit or low double-digit range, either through uh, organic growth, uh, acquisitions, and, and build the suits. Uh, some of these acquisitions have come from other tower companies, but mainly because the, uh, the mobile network operators have been divesting uh, their passive tower assets to ostensibly to raise capital for network modernization and expansion. Uh, so in this case, the tower companies become the landlords and the, and the uh, MNOs remain as, as tenants. And across the spectrum, tower tenancies are in the one to two per tower range. Um, and that's, that index is a little higher in some markets like North America. But if we look at the, the companies that um, are at the top of our rankings, American Tower is the largest independent telephone uh, tower company in the world. Uh, in 2021, it had uh, over 218,000 towers uh, spread across North America, Latin America, Europe, Africa, and Asia. Uh, India is uh, AMT's largest market with nearly 75,000 towers. And then in 2022, the company is planning to build another six to 7,000 towers in its international markets. And, and much of that will take place in India and, and Africa. Uh, Second, second largest tower company in the world is um, Indus Towers, formerly Bharti Infratel, uh, which is India's leading provider of uh, passive telecom infrastructure. It has a portfolio of nearly 185,000 towers, uh, making it the largest infrastructure, infrastructure provider in India. Um, in Europe, uh, Celnex Telecom, which was uh, spun off from Telefonica, uh, has a pan-African, uh, I'm sorry, a pan-European portfolio close to um, 102,000 towers, and Celnex uh, is currently the largest tower company in Europe. Uh, Vantage Towers, which was also another spin-off this time from Vodafone, it's headquartered in Frankfurt, Germany, operates uh, 45,700 towers across eight European countries, and it has minority partnership positions with um, Inwit in Italy and Cornerstone in the UK, giving it access to a total of 
82,200 towers. In the U.S., Crown Castle operates over 40,000 towers, all of those virtually in the, in the U.S. While it's not operating at a multinational scale, certainly uh, Crown Castle is a, is a very significant global tower company nonetheless. Uh, uh, fairly new, new to the public domain, at least I, IHS Towers, um, which is a division of uh, IHS Holdings out of London, uh, reported over 31,000 active towers in Africa, South America, and the Middle East, With uh, and it has pending deals that will take it up to uh, close to 39,000 towers in 11 countries uh, in the next couple of months. Uh, SBA has a portfolio of over 34,000 towers, uh, split roughly 51% uh, in the U.S., 49 in South America and Africa, uh, namely uh, South Africa and Tanzania. Um Another uh, fairly newcomer, uh, Totem, was a spinoff from Orange, uh, based in France, uh, has a total of 26,000 towers in France and Spain, uh, in the, primarily in the countries where Orange operates. Uh, Phoenix Tower International currently operates 15,000 active towers in, um, in Europe, um, uh, the United States, Latin America, and the Caribbean. Um, recent transactions uh, uh, with Selnex in Europe and Tower Ventures in the U.S. give the, the company close to 18,000 towers um, overall. Um, Helios Towers uh, out of London all, all operates nearly 10,000 towers in, in, in African growth markets. Um, what we didn't include on the list, uh, at least primarily, uh, are a few outliers. China Tower, which we've covered before, is actually the largest tower company in the world with roughly 2.2 million towers uh, across uh, its operations in mainland China. Um, a digital Bridge uh, has investments in a number of tower companies uh, in aggregate, uh, um, somewhere over 30,000 towers in uh, North America and Latin America and parts of Europe. And, and in Asia, uh, its largest company, uh, at least the most uh, well-known is Vertical Bridge, which has about 9,000 towers in the U.S. Um, and we, as we reported recently, Deutsche Telekom is uh, in, in the early stages of offering to sell off its tower portfolio of uh, um, nearly 33,000 towers that is uh, currently managed by Deutsche Funktrum, which is part of uh, DT's uh, GT Towers division uh, that has another 7,000 towers in, in Austria. So we expect the companies we've already flagged here, Selnex, American Tower, Vantage Towers, and Totem, uh, likely to be bidders for uh, the Deutsche Telekom uh, portfolio. So we're staying on top of the developments in the tower business worldwide, and um, we'll periodically update this list. But uh, there you have the current view. Thank you, John. Very comprehensive. So I spoke with... Uh, Competitive Carriers Association President and CEO Steve Barry this week as their mobile carrier show is getting underway in Tampa. We spoke mostly about rip and replace. Um, there's a $3.7 billion funding shortfall for that reimbursement program. And Barry and some of his members have been up to Capitol Hill explaining to lawmakers why more money is needed for the smaller carriers to remove untrusted gear from Huawei and ZTE uh, from their networks while keeping their networks operational at the same time. And he said they have a lot of support. Um, he's hoping the House and Senate quickly find a way to get more funding passed. But um, 
you know, he said, we're getting close to an election year and there's only a few legislative vehicles that would work for funding of this size. Failure to receive the rest of the money would mean sm some small carriers would probably need to leave the business, he said. Um, he said many smaller carriers have done a lot to prepare already, for example, spending their own money on things like engineering studies to determine the wind load that new antennas would have on their towers. And he said the effort to document the gear that may be reimbursable reimbursable is so painstaking the work is quote going down to the serial numbers of everything on the tower unquote and you know he said the members are trying to run a network while they're trying to take down a different you know a network at the same time so it's it's complicated and in much the same as in the broadcast repack um carriers are having to schedule tower work and justify the expense to the FCC for reimbursement. But unlike the broadcast repack, supply chain delays are also adding complexity to this effort. And he said, you know, 80% of small rural carriers are also transitioning away from CDMA networks at the same time, and they're building towards 4G and 5G. So they're doing all this at once. And he said, an issue is how do you monetize that investment? So that's um, something they were going to discuss at the show. And I think, Sharp, you were going to talk to us about network slicing. Yes, uh, Leslie. On uh, uh, This week, I, I wrote an article called Network Slicing to Help Carriers Monetize 5G. And it was really spurred by a, by a blog that I I read uh, by uh, uh, AJ Gotham, uh, strategic product manager, 5G ran for, uh, for Ericsson, where he uh, stated that uh, 2022 is quote, quickly becoming the year of network slicing and monetization. And uh, so he, uh, he mentioned two, two examples in particular. One was uh, Vodafone over in, uh, in the UK uh, was deploying uh, network slicing. And uh, the other was uh, uh, smart communications in uh, the Philippines. And uh, what's, what's fascinating to me about the, the, uh, the you know, the, uh, I think we've all heard of uh, the different things that, that the, uh, the carriers can do with network slicing. Uh, you know, creating uh, private networks for people, and and uh, and really, it, according to the experts, this is going to be a way that uh, that they're able to monetize all the spectrum, and uh, and that's something we really want the carriers to be able to do because they've spent a lot of money on this spectrum. So, whether it's providing a, an enterprise. Uh, with a uh, with a really low latency, you know, super high speed uh, network, and uh, charging them for it, um, you know, those are those are areas I think that we've sort of expected. Uh, but uh, what I thought was really interesting was uh, uh, I started looking at some of the other uh, deployments of uh, of network slicing, and in Malaysia last month. Uh, the uh, Digital Nacional Brahad uh, 
has uh, deployed uh, uh, radio resource partitioning with, through network slicing. And with that, they're allowing six mobile network operators to deliver customized 5G services over, their, uh, over this network. And, uh, and when you think about that for a moment, and you put, look it through the eyes of, of a lot of countries that uh, don't have the kind of money to have uh, three or four carriers building out you know, 5G networks and that type of thing, uh, that they could actually have uh, a really tremendous amount of, of, uh, of competition uh, with the deployment of really only one network, which using network slicing. So uh, I think Malaysia's uh, really got a, you know, a, great, a great idea, one that you're gonna, I would imagine, I would hope to see it uh, go across a lot of the other uh, developing and smaller countries. And um, so that was one of the things that really surprised me there. Um, the, um, you know, referencing uh, Vodafone's uh, lab trials, uh, uh, Santiago Tenorio with, uh, with Vodafone said in Forbes, 5G networking uh, slicing can enable instant performance slices for mobile private network use cases, such as automated guided vehicle control, smart grid management, and which improves energy management and reliability. So I think, I think that the, uh, the, lasting, the lasting impact of network slicing and indeed 5G uh, standalone is going to be uh, industry 4.0, and a lot of cities being able to uh, to lower their uh, their energy output, and uh, so I think as much promise as network slicing has, the the other the only stumbling block that we uh, that I I see before that is that uh, more more uh, more carriers need to uh, deploy five G standalone systems before those network slicing opportunities come to fruition. But uh, a lot of exciting stuff and, uh, uh, and I see just more and more of it in the future. Well, Shark, we understand network slicing to be primarily a software um, capability, right? Well, I, I know that they use an awful lot of computer terms that quite frankly, I don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> better better to leave it alone <laughs> but uh yeah 5g just in general the 5g end-to-end -end is uh you know the your knowledge of uh of uh of computers just uh it really pushes it because all all these all these systems are are incredibly software uh dependent and uh so so yeah, I'm, I'm going to have to go back to night school and 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 learn my uh, learn my computers. Yeah, less hardware dependent and more software dependent to make upgrades easier and a, a lot of things easier. And Jim, you have a somber story for us, don't you? Yeah, I, I think as this podcast proved, we, we cover the wide world of towers, literally around the world, and and also the scope of the wireless infrastructure industry, what it covers. 
Um, sadly, we're all aware of the uh, uh, the dangerous side of it. Uh, being labeled by OSHA one of the most dangerous jobs in the in the country is. And uh, this is a story. Actually, the tragedy occurred over a year ago. This was a young man uh, in Severville, Tennessee, who got onto a tower site. We won't say how, but apparently he got somehow got into the tower site, climbed it, fell, tragically died at the site. Um, and a year later, his parents are now suing. Um, and it was kind of interesting, though, what what they're claiming and 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 what what you know they're they're contending in their in their lawsuit. Um, these these parents, and I'll we'll, we'll leave the names out of the of who they are, and but uh, is that's not necessarily important. But the the lawsuit is, I think, from a from a standpoint of all the tower owners out there and and uh, who maintain properties, and this is always. You know, got to be in the back of your minds as far as liability. But uh, the, the lawsuit by these parents uh, claims that the tower was negligently designed and constructed and negligent and negligently maintained. Um, this was filed in March. Um, and these parents said the county did not adequately secure the site. They did not warn the public about whether the tower was dangerous and did not put up a barrier to keep the public away from the tower. Uh, we don't have the, the rest of the story on that. I can imagine the tower company might, uh, might challenge that. Um, however, that's, that's what the suit claims and that's, that's what uh, uh, is currently in court, and we'll try to follow that and see how that comes out and, and uh, let everybody know. But otherwise, a tragic story. All right. Thank you, Jim. That's a wrap. And thank you for listening to Inside Towers Week in Review. If you want a complete rundown of the week's news, check out our Saturday edition. We'll see you in a week. Thank you for listening to Tower Talks. To subscribe to our podcast, our daily newsletter, or use our other industry resources, please visit InsideTowers.com. Until next time, you've been listening to Tower Talks from Inside Towers, the wireless infrastructure industries podcast.